Welcome to the Pearl Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message blesses you in a way that is inspiring, encouraging, and transformational. For more information about our church, please go to thepearlchurch.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Listen, the Thanksgiving holidays upon us next Sunday. I'm going to be doing a, a message on on what it means to be grateful and thankful. Uh, but this morning, I'm going to flow right into the series. It's been a little tricky getting into the series just because of the weather, and I've had to make a few changes. But I am going to speak this morning on the subject of a multi-ethnic, multicultural church. And um, uh, this really this morning... It's only an introduction. Literally, this is, this is only an introduction of some things that we want to develop over the course of the next year. But I just felt like this morning, because of how the, the services landed and the series landed, I had this Sunday, and I really wanted to at least start this in the fall. I didn't want to wait till the spring. And so I'm going to do that this morning. And uh, the title of my message today is The Meeting Place. Can everyone say The Meeting Place? All right, all of God's people and all of God's grace in one place. Amen? Say the meeting place. Meeting place. Okay. So I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 11. And um, there's really no way for me to get all the way through this. This is sort of a a beginning point for us this morning. Uh, But I want to start in Acts chapter 11, and I'm just going to pray and jump in, and we're going to go verse by verse through some of this. And... Uh, what I'm what I'm believing for is that we'll all learn something today, and that that it begins. What we learn comes from the Bible. Now, whenever you talk about multicultural, multi-ethnic, anywhere, anything, there, there's a number of of ways that you can go, and some of that is great for discussion. But the the basis of everything that we do, and the basis of everything that we believe, comes from comes from Scripture, and so we have to start here. We have to start in Scripture because I believe. Believe that what you're about to hear in Acts chapter 11 is one of the most important, one of the most strategic, scriptural, theological, doctrinal things in all of the New Testament, and it has to do with the kind of church that Jesus is building. Not the kind of church that we want to build, but the kind of church that Jesus is building. Jesus is building his church. The Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That means that we should be really grateful that it's not us that's building the church. Amen? All right, so let's begin with a prayer. Father, this morning... I thank you for every person here and every person listening um, out there online today. I pray that you bless us and strengthen us. I pray, Father, that in this age and in this day where there's so much, um, there's so many trials in the culture, so much going on, and so many people that are just uh, angry or upset one day, and, and the, you know, the, the media and the politics and all that's going on. Lord, I ask you this morning to come and to just wipe all of that away for a moment and allow us in the presence of the Holy Spirit to hear from you and to read your word and to understand the very first uh, building block of how your church is supposed to be built. And I pray, Lord, that you give me grace and help me, Father, Lord, as I, as I speak this morning and, and allow me to deliver your heart and deliver your word and unimputed and, and, and from by my own thoughts or even my own experiences. So we give you the glory and the honor today, Jesus. We pray that you would bless the house in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 
All right, uh, the meeting place. All of God's people and all of God's grace in one place, Acts chapter 11. And I'm going to start in about verse 22. I'm going to start in about verse 22, and I'm just going to begin to uh, exhort. Uh, the Bible word, the theology word is exegete, which means start in Scripture and take it out of Scripture. Right? So what we're not supposed to do is take our own thoughts and force them into Scripture. That's not proper um, biblical study. Exegesis means to take Scripture and pull the truth out of Scripture and deliver it in a way that we can all understand it. So that's what I'm going to do through Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 22. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And they were telling the message only to the Jews. Now, I want you to notice here that the gospel itself in the beginning was only going to one ethnic group. Only to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they went to a place called Antioch and they began to speak to the Greeks also. Telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Now, in the spirit of the incarnation, in the spirit of the incarnation in the season, as I as I go through the next few weeks, we'll talk about the incarnation. Jesus came to earth, then Jesus came into me, and then Jesus moves through me, right? Um, Jesus moves through us. We don't tell Jesus what to do and tell him how to move. He moves through us, and we respond to that. You see all kinds of a, a different greater fruit when you live that way. But here in, in, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, the incarnational piece of this is that what you're going to see is that there's a certain kind of church that God actually manifests himself into. Uh, when you're building anything, you're living life, you're building the church, it doesn't matter if it's a business or a congregation, um, it doesn't matter if you show up, it only matters if he shows up. And if, if we're more concerned about us showing up than we are him showing up, then ultimately, at the end of the day, we're not going to have the fruit that we want, or we're going to live, we're going to live disappointed. But we want to be where God is. We want to be doing what God is doing, and we want Him to show up. It doesn't matter if I'm there or not. If He's doing something, I want to be a part of it. But really, it's all about Him. And what you're going to see in the next few verses, and I'm, I have to be very strategic here, and I need to go through this systematically and quickly. But what you're going to see is there is a specific kind of church that God manifests Himself in the middle of in the New Testament. And Acts chapter 11 is one of the most strategic chapters in the entire Bible. It starts like this. It talks about how uh, Stephen, you know, in the days of Stephen and those who had been scattered by the persecution of Stephen. So Jesus um, goes to the grave. He rises from the dead and he ascends. Now he ascends in the book of Acts. Thank God for the book of Acts because we get to read about the ascension. The gospels, well, they, they discuss it and they talk about it, but it's, it's specifically um, outlined in the book of Acts. The gospels get him into the grave and they get him resurrected, amen? But then in the book of Acts, he go ahead and he, and he ascends. I'm grateful for the book of Acts. I gotta tell you, you know, throughout history, there have been, there have been uh, levels or, or little strains of theology that have tried to take the book of Acts and turn it into nothing more than a historical book and it doesn't really matter. But I gotta tell you, without the book of Acts, we wouldn't have the ascension of Christ. Without the book of Acts, we wouldn't have the launching of the New Testament church in chapter three with Peter. We wouldn't have the Holy Spirit filling the people. We wouldn't have the testimony of Paul getting saved. We wouldn't have Stephen the martyr. Come on, we wouldn't have have all of these things that, that, that really make up who we are. We wouldn't have that without the book of Acts. So what happens is he ascends. 
And then you've got a guy named Stephen. Stephen was, um, you know, a, a great man of God. He was a wonderful man of God. And he gets saved and he follows the Lord Jesus Christ. Stephen gets saved and his own ethnic group persecutes him. His own ethnic group, the Jews, the Hebrew people, persecute Stephen for finding Jesus. And when you read about Stephen in Acts chapter 7, Stephen looks up to heaven and he sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father, which means that Jesus is God and he's above everything else and he came for all of us. What Stephen did is put Jesus in the right place. And his own people begin to persecute him. So he puts him in the right place and all of a sudden now his own family, his own friends begin to persecute him. They're so passionate about this. The Bible says they got angry and they were so angry that they began to gnash their teeth. They went and picked up rocks and they put them on the ground and they stoned him and they killed him because he put Jesus above everybody. How many of you know Jesus is above everybody? Jesus is above everybody. Jesus is the father of everybody. Jesus is the savior of everybody. The incarnation is first about what Jesus has done for us. Over here on my right is a cross. And if I look at the cross, it has, it has a, a vertical line and a horizontal line. The cross, the vertical line is God's on the top, man's on the bottom, and God wants to restore our relationship uh, from man, man to God, up and down. But on the horizontal line, he also came to restore the relationship between man and man. The cross is here for us and God, but it's also for man and man. But first, he says, I'm gonna put Jesus in his rightful place, but then something happens. They're, they're so angry, they wanna kill him so bad, they take off their coats. You know why they took off their coats? You read it in Acts chapter seven. Because they wanted, to, they wanted, they hated him so much, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to throw the rocks as hard as they could throw those rocks at his head to kill him. They were so angry, they took off their coats and their cloaks because they wanted to be able to wind up and give it the hardest throw that they could to kill this man who put Jesus uh, in his rightful place. And so Stephen is standing there, and he, he's getting killed, and they're taking off their coats, and they go find some little middle school kid named Saul. They, they find Saul, they say, hey, hey, boy, you come over here. And they put this little boy next to Stephen, just on the outskirts of the circle, and they take off their coats, and they begin to put their coats in the arms of this little boy. Watch our coats while we kill this man. And so here, here's Jesus up in heaven, and there's a family that is attacking each other to the point where one of them is going to be killed and, and they die. So when you look at the gospel, initially, it looks like the gospel and Jesus brought division. But by the time you get to Acts chapter 7, you'll see that what we see as a division in, in chapter 7 is actually an invitation in chapter 11. And the invitation was germinated in the middle of the middle school boy. There's only one line. It says this little boy named Saul was called over to the side of the circle to hold the cloaks of the people who killed Stephen. And now it says this. It says that in those days that being scattered because of the persecution with Stephen, so what happened is, is that all the Christians who saw Stephen die, they're like, I don't want this to happen to me. So they take off running. And they go to every single city. They just begin to spread out over the years while Saul grows up and they start churches. Some of the men went to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they told the message only to the Jews. So it's only to the Jews. But a few of the men ended up in a place called Antioch, and they began to speak to the Greeks also. So something very interesting here begins to happen. For the very first time in human history, the church becomes a multi-ethnic church. 
The word Greek, many times in the New Testament, is translated as the word barbarian. So the word barbarian, what it actually means is anyone who doesn't speak Hebrew. If you don't speak Hebrew, you're a barbarian, right? So they begin to preach the gospel to the people who did not speak Hebrew, and things begin to shift, and things begin to change. All of a sudden, people are getting saved who don't know anything about God. They don't know anything about church. They don't know anything about the synagogue. They don't know the language. They don't understand the traditions. They don't get it. They, don't, they have no clue. They have no understanding. But God begins to move in such a way. God in heaven, over the whole thing, moves people into an area that is very uncomfortable for them, and people begin to get saved. Look at verse 21. Then the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people uh, believed and turned to the Lord. So here you have, you have some Hebrew people who are now preaching to people who are not Jewish, and this is that the hand of God was with them. Whatever you read about the hand of God, it means two things. The hand of God represents that God is in whatever his hand is doing. There are a couple of people here that shared with me, they're building a house, and uh, they're building a house this year, and um, the builders, if you're a builder, please forgive me, you're my friend. The builders always say, don't come to the house, just let us build it. They would love for you to not, to not show up because then you'll find things that you don't like and you wanna change everything. Listen, if you ever build a house, go there and get in the business. A good builder would, would welcome that, right? And so their hand is in it. So if God's hand is in it, that means that God is building it. We don't ever wanna be anywhere where God's hand is not. We spend our time building things, and especially in church, and, and I believe that we can, I believe we can look across the country and we can pick out the things and we can see the things that God's hand is on. We want to make sure that we are building what God is building. But number two, it means that God is actually shaping it. Whenever you see God's hand in scripture, it means not only is he there physically or spiritually, but he's also shaping the way that he wants it to be. And so immediately, if we look at the New Testament church in Acts, we see that it used to be for the Hebrews, but now he's shaping it into a church for everybody. This is a Jesus thing. It wasn't a God thing, and it wasn't just context. I ended up in Antioch. Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? I guess I'll share the gospel because I happen to be here. No, this is what God is doing. This is what God was doing then. It's what God's doing today. This is about the church. God's hand is in the church and God's hand is shaping the church, but what is he shaping it to be? We see from the very beginning that the church was a multi-ethnic group that began to grow. And so it goes on and it says, uh, it says that the news of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas. This is an interesting verse because here's what happens. All of a sudden, people who don't look like, talk like, or even eat the same food, start to find Jesus. Now, now I understand that some of this is kind of basic for us, but, and we don't think this way, but you have to understand that in that moment, food was a big deal. And, and, and language was a really big deal. And all of a sudden, these people, and the news makes it 400 miles now, in 400 miles, when, when, you, when you don't have a minivan, that might as well be 4,000 miles. You have to understand this. News makes it from Antioch all the way back to Jerusalem to the ears of the people who are in Jerusalem. And like in any revival, when God begins to move, 
Christians usually judge it and persecute it because we always persecute what we don't understand and we always judge what we don't experience. But we're not talking about revival. We're talking about people right now. So all of a sudden, here they are in Jerusalem and they're judging people. How can these people get saved? Is this true what I hear? Is God really moving in such a way? And they want to believe it, but they kind of don't because they're kind of stuck on their own ways and they don't want any. That's why the ones who went out first, they wouldn't share the gospel with anyone except other Hebrews. And they argued about this all the way through the book of Acts, by the way. You get into chapter 15 and Paul, uh, he's having an argument with James, and they're, they're sitting around the table, and they're basically yelling at each other because the guys in Jerusalem are saying, if, the, if, these, if these barbarians don't do what we do, they shouldn't even be in the church. It's, it's, it's incredible. They don't eat the right food, they don't speak the right language, and they don't want to get circumcised. Can I, can I just tell you something? Circumcision here was a really big deal. I'm just saying, if I had to choose which church I was going to, and I was 45 years old, You'll find me in Antioch, ladies and gentlemen. Because James is like, no, dude, you need to circumcise them. And then all the servers are going, I'm going to Antioch. I'm running to Antioch. There's no, because it was all about works. And they, they struggle with this thing all the way through, all the way through this journey. But something begins to happen in Antioch, right? So here they are. And now who are we going to send? So here's what you do. They, they kind of knew that, that, that this should be right, but their heart in their heart, they couldn't admit it. This is the way we live. We, we kind of know that it's right, but, but we don't want to admit it. We kind of know, but it kind of makes us frustrated. And so they picked somebody. In a few verses, it says he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And the name Barnabas actually means uh, a peacemaker, or it means someone who brings people together. So they picked the guy to go, who they knew could have the conversation and love them more than the Jerusalem church could love them. Now, you have to, you have to give them props. you got to say, okay, I don't know if you've ever been in a position where you're upset and, like, you send somebody, right? Like, one time we were at the mall and, and, and somebody did something to me at the counter, and I said, Donna, you go deal with it because I don't want them to know I'm a pastor and, and I'm going to say something super unpastoral, so you go. She's like the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm like, I'm so upset right now. You go. You go, make my family look good. You know what I mean? You go. This is what they did. The problem is this. Let, let, let me tell you what happened. Barnabas says, okay, I'll go. I'll go. Travels 400 miles, and he shows up in the city of Antioch. And he's, he's so overwhelmed by what he sees, he doesn't go back to Jerusalem. He stays. Because somebody who loves these people, somebody who loves these people, needs to be where those people are because God's hand is on them. And, and I, I gotta, I've got I to gotta tell you, now, there, there's nothing in all sincerity this morning, I want you to hear, there's nothing political in me. I'm not, uh, this is not about racism, quote unquote. I'm, I'm just saying that, that we are called to be where people need Christ and when God puts his hand on people, our job is to be there to help them with Christ. So here's, here's Barnabas, and he's, he's over there, and he's, he's hanging out, and, and God begins to move. And then in verse, uh, in verse 22, it says, when he arrived, now this is very important. 
When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. When he showed up and the grace of God was on them. So he shows up and he's walking through the city and he cannot believe what he sees. And he sees what the Bible describes as the grace of God. Now this grace is a little different Greek word than the other grace words. It's not, it's not charis, it's a different word. Um, this word uh, literally, literally means, it's like having favor. It's like a, the Greek version of the word favor, the grace, the favor of God. So the hand of God is on them. Hebrew people are finding Jesus. And people from all these other nations are finding Jesus. And he stands in the middle of, of the city and he realizes that there's two things happening. Now what I'm about to share with you is the pattern for the New Testament church. And the Antioch church is not just some church that we read about in scripture, hey, great story, listen to me. The Antioch church is what every single New Testament church in the entire world is building their model of church around or, or trying to, even if they don't know what it is. This is the Antioch church, this is who we are. And here, the, here he's standing in the city and the church is growing and he sees two things. The first thing that he sees is that the Holy Spirit is falling on people who are not Jewish. And to them, that is major controversy, right? That'd be like Malia, my friend Malia, we're both Filipino, which means we're very emotional. We're very passionate, right? And, and our, our, our future spouses are over here and they show up and they, oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit is falling on Filipinos. <laughs> I got a little bit of Hawaiian in me too. On Hawaiians, they're so slow they can't even get to church. The Holy Spirit, he's so blown away and he sends news back, no, listen to me, the Holy Spirit, James, I'm telling you, the same Holy Spirit from the upper room is falling in the streets of Antioch. And to them, it challenges their prejudices. And then something else happened. Now, for those of you who went through my journey track, this is the part of the story that you may know. So for just a very few of you, this will be a little redundant, but he's in a city that is not like any other city. See, Antioch was the third largest city in the world at that time. It had commerce, money, like you would not believe. The, the streets of Antioch were actually paved in solid white marble. There were marble columns on the sides of the street that were filled with fire and glass. Antioch was the first city in human history to have lighted streets at night. The, the immorality in this city was so vast and so powerful and so overwhelming that even in Rome, they were afraid that the morality of Antioch would make it all the way over to Rome. And if the Romans are worried, you have something to be worried about, right? These people are so immoral. There were so many people in this city that they were literally standing on top of each other. Some uh, theologians and commentaries describe Antioch as the New York City of their day. But per capita, per square acre, there was more people. In New York City today, there are 200 people on every acre of land. 200 people in New York City. But in Antioch, there were 300. 
You have to understand that people were flooding to that city from all over the world because they wanted to have a piece of the pie. They wanted to experience the sunshine. They wanted to have the, they wanted to have the skiing that was close and the 14ers and they wanted to hike and they wanted to bike and every day, just like here, maybe 18,000 people a day like here, flood into the city from all over the world and, and they're of every nation and every uh, tongue and language and every food type and, and they, just, they just all show up. They've got all different skin colors and they're all standing around together and here he is. Here's Barnabas in the middle of this thing and he's in this city and the people are just flooding in. You cannot, you cannot avoid someone, if God wants what they have, to change you. Did you watch what's, there's something, I want to show you something. Something's about to happen. And so this city is incredible. And then the most uh, I don't know, one of the most uh, dynamic, dramatic things of the city is it was surrounded by a wall. Like many of the, of the cities there from their enemies, right? You gotta keep, keep the wall up, but this wall was something special. It was higher and thicker than almost any other wall in the world. And it was to keep people out. But there was something else that this, this city had that many people don't know about, and that is there were so many people there who didn't get along with each other. They didn't like each other. They judged each other. They didn't, they, they didn't hang out. They didn't speak the same language. They didn't want to know it. Is that every ethnic group inside of the city built their own wall to wall themselves off from the rest of Antioch. And if you were to take a drone, you know, like today's drone, to take the drone up a few hundred feet and look down into the city, you would see not a walled city, but you would see a city of walls. And, and I'm, if I'm just being super transparent with you, I, I don't want to live in a city of walls. We, we, we live in a culture of walls. And so something incredible happened. Barnabas is standing in the streets of the city and he realizes, look at this in verse 24, he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Let me tell you, you have to have faith if you're going to believe to build a multi-ethnic, multicultural church. I remember when I first moved here, um, and you've, I think I told this story once, but I was down at a movie theater and I was looking at a movie theater to have church in um, because, because why not? We had church everywhere else. And... Um, the guy looks at me and he says, he says, tell me about your church. What do you want to build? I said, I want to build a spirit-filled, multicultural church. And he literally looked at me and he says, you can't do that here. I said, what do you mean? He goes, it's just not done here. This is Denver, Colorado. You can't do that here. Of course, that just made me, give me righteous <laughs> anger. You know, all the Filipinos started coming out of me. The Hawaiian side wanted to take a nap, but the Filipino side of me was ready to fight. And so you've got to have faith. He was full of faith. You see, a Barnabas spirit isn't just peacemaker like between you and your spouse or you and your friend. The Barnabas spirit has to happen in the church for us to get along with each other. We have to be, we have to be a whole church filled with Barnabases who can embrace what we don't understand and not judge what we don't know and not persecute what we haven't experienced. So Barnabas is there, and 
Uh, he went to Tarsus and he looked for Saul and he found him and he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and there was great numbers there. I want you to look at what happens here. That same young boy who held the coats of the people who killed Stephen, he's now growing up. He's now become a Christian. You see, Saul watched as his own friends and family murdered someone in his own ethnicity. But it wasn't the ethnicity that had an impact on Saul. It's what Stephen said when he died. Because as his spirit was slipping to heaven, he said, I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. And he took Jesus and he put Jesus up in his rightful place above all of it. And so Saul was looking at Jesus that day holding these coats and he never forgot it. It stayed with him the rest of his life. And then one day he grew up and he got a doctorate in the law. He was a professor in the law. The Bible says that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He studied the Hebrews so that he could persecute Christians for the rest of his life because you persecute what you're convicted about. To the point where he was following Christians around and giving a thumbs up to their death when they were killed and martyred. His job was to find Christians and to shut their churches down and to mess with their families and to, and to put them in jail and prison. And one day, Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus and says, Saul, what are you doing? He says, who is this? A bright light appears. He says, who do you know who this is? This is Jesus. The right hand of the Father, it's the one you're persecuting. Why are you fighting against the goats? If you don't know what a goat is, it's not Michael Goat. He's a member of our church. Um, if you don't know what the, what the goats are, on an oxen, they would have this collar around the oxen, and it had spikes in it. Those were called goads. And if I was to pull this way, and the ox doesn't want to go, it would spike him in the neck and turn him. He says, you're like, a, you're like an ox who's fighting me. It's his conscience and inside of his heart, he knew that he was wrong. And when you know you're wrong, sometimes you fight for what you are wrong for. You will go to the grave believing what, for things that are wrong and thus the grace of God comes on us and touches us. When the hand of God gets involved in your spirit, he becomes a Christian. And he becomes the, not the doctorate of doctorates, he becomes the apostle of apostles. And so I want you to think about this. The man, the young boy, who became the most racist, bigoted man in the entire New Testament, wrote two-thirds of your Bible. He went from persecuting Christians to becoming the pastor of the Antioch church because he saw Jesus in his right place. And he began to, to pastor people from all over, from every group, every city. And it was so powerful. The revival broke out and the guys in Jerusalem are still working through their, 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 their hypocritical issues. And, and Barnabas doesn't want to go back to that. Can I just say to you, I don't ever want to go back to that. I don't ever want to go back to, to misunderstanding or not being hungry to learn or, or to grow. I don't, I don't want to go back to that. Can't blame Barnabas. Instead, he goes and gets the man who was there the day that Stephen died. Matter of fact, he, it, he, he was so powerful. God was moving. See, the depth, of your, the depth of your conscience being seared sometimes impacts the depth of your anointing that you have when you've been set free. So the man who persecuted the Christians is now going to lead the entire Christian church. And every time you open your Bible, you read his words. That's the power of this. 
And they teach every day for a year. And something begins to happen. You see, all of these ethnic groups are behind their walls. They, 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 it, they, maybe it looked like my shirt. One person said today it looked like my shirt. Filipinos, Hawaiians. What are you, honey? Are you Scandinavian? What are you? Canadian. Oh, yeah. Canadians. Here. Canadians are over here. See, listen, listen. The Holy Spirit begins to move in miracles. Did you know that miracles don't need a language? See, none of these people understood each other's languages. But they got healed, she got healed, he got healed, that person got rose from the dead, that person is speaking in tongues, that person is speaking in tongues, that person is speaking in tongues, all of them are speaking in tongues, all those guys are speaking in tongues. Oh, wait a minute, I guess we do speak the same language. And the Holy Spirit begins to supersede their own ethnicity. And Barnabas doesn't know what to do. You know what the Bible says in this the next verse? All of these people who are trapped behind their walls of their ethnicity, all of a sudden, they don't know what to do because their own ethnicity is now rejecting them because they're Christians. So now you have everybody being rejected by their own ethnicity because they've all become Christians. And what was once a division is now an invitation to come out from behind your walls under one banner and one Jesus. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, oh, but it was in Antioch that they were first called Christians. You know why? Because it was the first time in history that somebody could not be identified by the, the, the nation that they came from. They were now identified by the person that they followed. What are they doing? I don't know. Where are they from? I don't get it. They're all following Jesus. What are we? Let's just call them Christians because I don't know what wall they came from. This is the New Testament church. This is where it was birthed. This is the pattern of what God wanted us to do. This is what God puts his hand on. One of these days, I, I just, my prayer is that, you know, the less than 5% of churches in America look like this. Less than 5%, uh, Pastor Benny Perez, I was with him last week, he called it a Skittles church, right? Less than 5% of churches in America look like this. With every color, every language, we have people from eight, nine, 10 different nations, we have different languages. Right now there is a group of people in the back, right now, translating this into Spanish. It is bueno, he said. Bueno, back there. It's all bueno. It, it, it just doesn't, the world doesn't look like this, but this is what God's called us to build. Now, I understand if you live in a place and you just don't have other ethnic groups, I get that. That's just demographics. But, but the truth is, is that in our hearts, when, when, when are we going to, see, here's, here's the truth. If you, you really want to experience God in the way that Jesus meant for us to experience him, here's what you have to do. You have to come out from behind your walls of insecurity to the meeting place. It's not behind your wall, it's in the courtyard of the city. It's where, where do we go to find the Christians where we all speak the same language because we, see, we have the same God. Come out of your walls of insecurity, come out of our walls of ignorance, come out of our walls of comfortability, come out of our walls of, of there's just certain things. If, if the church cannot come out from behind their walls, I guarantee you, you will start attacking each other. Because we always persecute. 
If we don't understand and God's not moving, we have to come out from behind our walls. I think one of the greatest pictures of this is when we have our Nations Day out there. And I got to tell you, the whole church should come out to the Nations Day. You should all come out. It's unbelievable. And if you like to eat, people, come on, somebody. You start in Russia. And then you go to like a couple of African nations. All right. And then you, then you end up over there on the Hawaiian, the Hawaiian corner. It's just me and like one other guy over there. <laughs> and we're all, we're, we're over there just eating poi like it was the best thing you've ever had in your life. If you don't know what poi is, it's, it's, a, it's a combination between toothpaste, peanut butter, and glue. <laughs> it, is, it is literally the best thing I have ever eaten in my life. Because I grew up on it. I didn't get baby food, I got poi. Here's some poi, we'll throw something on it, you know? And that's, that's how I lived. I took my family to Hawaii to meet my family for the first time. And then my kids came along, my kids came along and I took them to a Hawaiian restaurant. I was literally in heaven. We, we were eating things that I thought were the greatest things I've ever put in my mouth. I'm telling you, it was unbelievable. We have this thing called squid lao lao, squid luau. And you just take a squid, you chop it up and throw it in some coconut milk and boil it. There will be squid luau in heaven. My children are sitting around the table, and I think it was my oldest, Kaylee. She looked at me. She goes, you're not even a member of this family. I, I think the nation's, I think the nation's food is, I mean, it, it's, we have to come out of our walls. We identify ourselves not by the color of our skin or the language that we speak, but by the God that we serve. And I understand. I mean, I, I, I get it. I watch the news just, just like you do. I, I, hear, I hear you. But nothing will ever change if we feel emotionally compelled to, to just always, you know, preach or complain about the things that bother us or don't agree with us. I think, I think most, and I think this is sad. I'm, I'm not trying to judge anyone. I'm just saying that I find that the church sometimes spends their, their whole journey preaching against things instead of taking the, the, the few things that Jesus said, this is how I built my church, and let's preach it for the rest of our life. We all know there's problems, we get that. But what's our responsibility? Our responsibility, we can't fix everything. But what we can do is put ourselves in a place where we are forced to relate and to love and to know and to understand and to be a part of to be a part of each other's lives. This is the meeting place. All of God's people, all in one place, experiencing the grace of Jesus Christ together. Now, for the most part this morning, I, I, I am finished. I, I guess what I, what I would love for you to be left with is this, is that this is without a doubt, unequivocally the church that, that Jesus put his hand on in the New Testament. It was a church that came out of their walls to become one people. This is who we are. This is the way it was always meant to be. This was why we were called Christians. Listen to me. Every time you hear the word Christian, I don't want you to think of a church, of a, of a building. Every time you hear the word Christian for the rest of your life, I want you to picture people who don't understand each other, don't know each other, don't speak each other's language. I want you to picture people coming out from behind walls and becoming a family. This is what Christianity is. It's what I believe.
It's what, it's what I believe. And it's what God has called us to build. I mean, this, this may shock you, but I'm telling you the truth. Every single day, literally every day, I get out of bed and I think about this. I think about the church that God has called us to build. And I, and I, 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 I just have this belief that, that revival, <laughs> look, true revival, it, the heart of the religious is vexed when true revival happens because it happens in people they don't like, people they don't understand, people they don't know people they're ignorant about. Everything is about people, ladies and gentlemen. It's not about buildings. Let's have revival in such a way that the religious spirit that we battle every day in this country is, is driven out not by our hate, but by our love for each other. There's just nothing like it, you know? I want you to, I want you to do me a favor. We're going to pray for this right now. I want you to put stuff down. Stand to your feet, and I'm going to wrap the service up. And I'm going to believe, uh, I'm going to believe God that... Uh, that we all are seeing the same thing and believing the same thing. Uh, all I can ask you to do right now is if you can say amen to what I just said, tell Jesus you love him, clap your hands, okay? Um, I didn't get through my notes, but that's all right. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, why don't you bow your heads with me, please? Give me just a moment. Father, there are people in this room right now, Jesus, there are people in this room who are trapped behind a wall of insecurity. They are bound up by a wall of fear. They are sitting alone in the midst of people. It's amazing, Jesus, how we can be surrounded by people and still feel alone. The Bible says that you come and you place the lonely and the isolated in a family, in a place where, where they can be loved and cared for. Lord, I pray for every person in this room this morning or anyone listening online. I pray, Jesus, come on. I pray, Father, that you would help them to come out of their walls. God is calling you out from behind the wall of fear, behind the wall of insecurity, behind the wall of hate, behind the wall of unforgiveness, because those things will trap you there. Listen to me, if you hear this morning and you need to get your life right with Jesus, come to the meeting place. Come to the place in the center where there are no more walls. Come to the place in the center where Jesus has been placed in the rightful place above everything. This morning, if you need to, to renew your relationship with Christ or maybe you have never responded and said, I wanna follow Jesus, or maybe you have been so hurt and so wounded and so broken behind a wall, this is for you. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want prayer this morning to receive Christ and to be healed, when I count to three, please lift your hands. One, two, three. If that's you, please lift your hand. Thank you, thank you.